welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Fundamental Analysis Show on Chit Chat Money, our Sunday episode. And today we're going to be talking about Activision Blizzard. Fair warning, full disclosure, this is something we own in our Arch Capital Fund. So obviously we're going to be a little biased and probably sound a little bullish, but this whole show is not about whether to buy or sell something. Uh, It is about just going over the fundamentals of the company, some of the risks, some of the growth opportunities. But if you're listening, you probably know how that goes. But before we talk about Activision Blizzard, we're going to be talking about Seven Investing. Whose turn is it? Uh, Ryan, is it me or you to do the pitch? I can go for it. Um, So you get $10 off if you use our code. Uh, and we're getting a whole lot of referrals. It looks like a lot of so people you guys are, are you guys are helping yourselves out. Yeah, good for you. Uh, I guess good for us as well, but good for you primarily because their returns have been incredible. And mm-hmm. So uh, much better than mine personally. Uh, actually, I'd say you know whatever, but uh, it's <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, I mean a lot of people are doing well right now, but they are definitely doing well. So uh, yeah, feel free to and and you obviously don't have to invest in everything they invest, but you get all those picks and you can kind of nitpick which ones you like the most. And it's not just a ticker. They do the full research. They'll talk with you about it. You know, you can, yeah, I don't know. They have a full research part of it. It's not just, all right, buy this with no context. They're putting all the research behind it. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, let's talk Activision Blizzard. Uh, They are a developer and publisher of gaming content. So uh, I feel like most investors are probably familiar with them, Uh, but they're most well known for their three big brands. Um, I guess it's their only three brands, but it's Activision, uh, Blizzard Entertainment, and King. Um, And so Activision is... Like that is really, they have some other smaller titles, but it's really known for their Call of Duty titles and they have different iterations off of Call of Duty. I think there's a new Call of Duty that comes out every year. Yes. yes. Um, and so th- some of the iterations that are out now are Warzone, uh, Modern Warfare, and then Black Ops, I believe. Well, it's Black Ops Cold War. I don't know if it's Black Ops 3 or something. They got a lot of them. And then, but there's also the mobile title. Um, and so there's just these different modes. Warzone is their battle royale. So this is kind of based off the Fortnite premise where you get on your team, uh, you can multiplayer it. So you've got friends on the mic and then you can try to be the last team surviving, that kind of thing. And then some are more like search and destroy. So you have objectives. Uh, you can also do those multiplayer style. Uh, but they th- that's basically sort of their namesake. That is really what they make a lot of their money off of is the Call of Duty brand. Um, and then they also have a Call of Duty League, which I think is in 12 cities. That's like pro gamers. People like to watch that stuff. Uh, Just hit the of. record uh, viewers for the championship this fall. Something like 300,000 viewers. So growing you know, pretty quickly. And the way they generate revenue from that, I believe it's a 50-50 split where between the gamers and then the game makers. Um, so it's like uh, ads if you're streaming on Twitch or you're sponsored by some energy drink or something like that. So that kind of money, uh, the streaming dollars, all that kind of stuff, it's split. Uh, it's revenue split between the gamers and the games. Um, and then Blizzard Entertainment is more of their in 
this is really designed for their intense gamers. Uh, and I guess some of the Call of Duty uh, players might call themselves intense gamers, but this is more the titles like World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Hearthstone. Those are games where it's really like a whole nother world, essentially. And it, it has. Yeah, it's like fantasy stuff. Yeah, it has the least amount of MAUs uh, by a lot. But it is by far the most valuable MAUs. The ARPU on those users on Blizzards are uh, is twice that of either Activision or King Games. So uh, were you just doing that kind of on a bookings, trailing bookings versus users type deal, or? Yeah, I did revenue, but uh, uh, similar. Okay. I mean, you could have. Yeah, I probably could have done bookings. I think it was like, I'm not. It was about double the Blizzard, or sorry, Blizzard was about double uh, ARPU of. Activision and then like seven times the ARPU of King. Yeah, King's um, doing pretty well. And so, yeah, those are the guys, you know, they are uh, really sort of diehards. They're probably a harder fan base to please with your games. Like, if you have a bad one, they'll let you know um, because a lot of those titles have been around for a really long time. Uh, but King, these are their mobile titles. So, the more past the time type of games. So, Candy Crush, Diamond Diaries, Bubble Witch. Uh, Led by Candy Crush. Candy Crush is the majority of the revenue. Yeah, and they have uh, that that brand, King brand, has the most users uh, because it's real easy. You just download it onto your phone. You don't really have to pay. It's kind of free to play. You just uh, there's in-game monetization. There's some ads, but really, it's kind of you're just trying to pass the time on your phone. Um, and so the ARPU on that is really, really low. Um, but now I'll get into the history. It's a conglomerate now, obviously, with those three brands. But it started as Activision Publishing in 1979 by David Crane and Alan Miller. Um, and it was actually born out of Atari. I shouldn't say born out of Atari. There were people that were working at uh, – so Alan Miller and David Crane were working at Atari, and they were upset about some of the creator's rights issues. So Atari was taking a lot of the uh, credit, I guess, for some of the games. And so they split off. They became the first third-party publisher ever and were really successful with it, and they would put the creator's name on the games. So uh, I think fans really liked that. Um, and then they kind of stalled out in the 80s, but in 1991, Bobby Kota came along and became CEO, and they went public in 1993. They actually inspired a lot of copycats as well, so people were like, oh, you don't have to own the console. You can be a publisher also. Um, and so Blizzard Entertainment was actually founded in 1991 by three UCLA grads, and both companies were having a lot of success as third-party developers. Finally, in 2008, Activision merged with Vivendi, who owned the Blizzard brand, um, and that was the start of the combined entity. And in 2016, Activision bought King Games for $5.9 in cash. Uh, so for reference, last year, King did $2.1 in revenue and almost a billion in operating income. I think they have more than 40% operating margins. So I think um, that, yeah, they definitely recouped that investment. The investment looks good now. I mean, if you can assume more than a five times operating income multiple, which seems safe, to assume, um, yeah, that, that that investment's worth a lot more. Uh, but that's kind of the history behind the business. I'll let you get into the valuation. Okay, uh, yeah. So right now they have an enterprise value of about $74 billion. It's a bit different than their market cap because they have a big net cash position. Ticker is ATVI. EV to sales is 9.2. If you do EV 
the trailing 12-month bookings, it's about 8.8. So bookings are growing a little faster. And just to explain, uh, video game companies have to amortize their revenue over a 23- or 24-month period. So even if someone spends money on a game, they have to, you know, whatever, realize it over the period, even though they're getting all that cash up front. Uh, I don't think it's a linear you know, amortization, but it's just something that's going to happen. So bookings is kind of the number you want to track for current revenue. I mean, you got to look at revenue and bookings, but in reality, bookings is more of a current metric. Revenue can be inflated even if trailing, you know, cash coming in was higher. Uh, EV to free cash flow is about 41 right now from our uh, I'm using the internal estimate that we did. We kind of we X out stock-based compensation, uh, so it's going to be a little higher from multiple right now. Uh, and then looking forward, it's a lot better, though. You can see that the last quarter um, they had just, a, I don't know, the, the numbers were looking better. Forward should be just a little bit better. EV to operating income is 27. So, again, you're getting a premium valuation here uh, compared to the market. Well, actually, EV to operating income is lower than the market right now. I, I usually think I, I assign oh, 25 crazy. in my head, but right now the market's at like above 30. Uh, EV or market, like price uh, to operating income? Because I feel like the average market multiple is not uh i think enterprise value is probably higher on average because there's a net debt position out there right i guess i guess that's true so uh i i'm assuming it's lower but again whatever you're you know on a case-by-case basis you're kind of looking at activision on its own uh activision uh, through various you know return on invested capital calculations you could say they get in between 15 percent and 23 percent return on invested capital at least over the past year uh so very strong there their dividend per share is about 47 cents it's a it's a less than one percent yield but it's growing at about 15 percent each year and they just authorized a four billion dollar share buyback program uh, but they do do a lot of stock-based compensation so they're not going to do $4 billion over the next two years, which is when the program goes. So they hopefully should reduce the share count. Uh, but we'll see. You know, Watch out for that share count to go down. High working capital number, and they have about $3.6 billion in long-term debt. But no need to worry about that because they have almost $9 billion in cash right now. Uh, and make sure when you're doing the earnings, again, which Ryan will go through, to reconcile the deferred revenue. Cash flow is probably the best profitability metric to use here. Yeah, and... If you're thinking, God, that like, why are they sitting on eight or nine billion dollars in cash? Shouldn't they be putting that to work? They announced that they will, uh, like Brett said. So, mm-hmm. four billion dollar share buyback program over the next two years. That is not a small amount. That's about five percent of the market cap, maybe six or seven percent actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, they are starting to put that money to work. But I'll talk about the full year 2020 earnings. So, revenue for the year was 8.1 billion, up 25 percent year over year. About 82 percent of that revenue uh, is now coming from digital channels uh, net bookings grew 32 percent year over year I think net bookings was about 8.4 billion whereas revenue was 8.1 uh, and then operating income for the year was 2.7 billion so and that was growing 70 percent year over year their operating margin is about 34 percent right now for the entire enterprise that's uh, that's a really impressive number, I guess. Uh, earnings per share grew 45% year over year. Uh, they had more than 400 million monthly active users throughout the year. Uh, share dilution was about 1%, so share count is still growing. Uh, so On a trailing basis, yes. You know, you look at share repurchases, uh, 
take it with a grain of salt because if they're issuing shares or they have uh, stock-based compensation and they're buying back shares, the, the only important number is the diluted shares outstanding in the end. You're looking for the net. So uh, pay attention to that number. And then free cash flow was about $2.2 billion for the year, 27% free cash flow margins. And then as Brett said, they announced a two-year $4 billion buyback program and raised the dividend 15%. Honestly, the numbers looked incredible this quarter. The stock jumped after the quarter, I think around like six or seven percent. Um, and people were already pricing in a good quarter. So it yeah. was, uh, yeah, they crushed estimates. There was no, uh, they no, crushed their own estimates. Yeah, no complaints uh, for their earnings last quarter. They, it looked like every part of the business was doing well. Cox Panoramic Wi Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up, we're going to hit the more qualitative stuff for Activision Blizzard. So first up, we'll be digging trenches. Uh, this is the rating we have for Activision Blizzard's moat. So what would you give them? A zero, one, two, or three for your moat rating? I'll probably go a 2.6. <laughs> I usually we only do half, sir, but 2.6, very maybe. Uh, it's my only, yes. Okay, so the title's uh are are worth a ton uh and it's very hard to repeat but they are obviously competing uh for consumers time which is like the most competitive place in the world right now with all the different content coming out and indie games and stuff like that so um uh they're just in a hyper competitive landscape but uh yeah the brands are worth a ton and th there's always going to be a fan base around most of those names yeah yeah interesting yeah the i'd say 2.5 as well it's good it's a good moat it's not a great one uh there's competitors there's a lot of people spending money to compete with them so but and you also got to look at it okay call of duty probably has a higher moat than candy crush or king right uh, so parts of the business may have a higher moat parts of it a little bit lower yeah and there's also kind of the nostalgia factor for a lot of the players when it comes to Call of Duty because earlier, like uh, 10 years ago or so, when a lot of these, there was less competition, uh, uh, Call of Duty was still popular then, so there's the, you've, they've proven that the fan bases are very loyal and that they'll yeah. stick around. So there, there obviously is some attraction to those brands. I mean, Diablo is like 25 years old and mm -hmm. it's still very popular. So For sure. Um, yeah, why, why don't you talk further reading? What are you looking for? Okay, they have a thing for Blizzard called BlizzCon. It's coming up soon. Uh, hopefully get some good announcements and their new go-to-market strategy. It'll be interesting to see if they do a similar thing for those titles as they've done with Call of Duty. So having you know premium, free-to-play, and mobile. Um, they Right now, all of them essentially have a premium and eSports, but adding on the free-to-play stuff for console and then having the mobile titles as well, they've hinted at it during their conference calls. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. We'll be interested to see kind of what the announcements are, uh, you know, see what the kind of games are going, uh, what the reviews are, not reviews, kind of the excitement around that stuff is. Yeah, it's virtual, isn't it? 
Oh, I bet so, yeah. Yeah, because I think they're headquartered in Santa Monica, which uh, I assume is still sort of yeah. not allowing well, big events like this. Yeah, uh, definitely not. Yeah, and even if it was, there would be a live stream anyways. I'm so. sorry. Uh, well, further reading from me, EA's new Battlefield is coming out, uh, or it's, yeah, it's definitely yeah, coming, coming out. coming out in 2021, yeah. But uh, it's rumored that there will be a Battle Royale mode to it. I don't know if that's been officially announced, and I, I just am interested to see how much market share that's able to take from Warzone, because it's very sort of similar models, uh, and I assume a lot of overlap on the fan bases there. So I, I'm curious what effect that ends up having on Warzone. Yeah, it's interesting because everyone's trying to create, recreate what happened with Fortnite. They're trying to do the, you know, the battle royale, 100, whatever, one versus 100 or teams and stuff versus teams kind of going through these things. And it's interesting to see how companies are going to try to differentiate themselves, yeah. right? Because... You could argue that if everyone is always going on to Warzone or something like that, then they'll probably continue to go on to something like that. But it's not that hard if someone's like, all right, there's a new one coming out. Just text your friends. Let's try this one. Yeah, agreed. All right, future growth opportunities. What do you have? So mine is Warzone, which is their free-to-play title. Again, similar. And it's for consoles uh, and cross-platform. I assume you can do it on PCs and other stuff as well, but it's for Call of Duty. It launched this March, so the ideal was very... Or sorry, excuse me, I'm mixing up my words. The timing was very ideal, and it has grown to close to 100 million users, I think. Um, It complements the premium title well, and it keeps people engaged with the Call of Duty content because, you know, typically it was just a $60 game once a year. Probably get tired after that after a while. Uh, but now they can do continual updates to Warzone, add new stuff over time, uh, and it keeps people engaged with the Call of Duty franchise outside of the yearly release. I think they can, one, increase bookings from that as well. They've shown that. And two, it can drive more people to be like, all right, yeah, I might consistently buy the annual title. I think you can rise, or a rising tide kind of lifts all boat deal. You know, with that. Yeah, and the other thing with Warzone is it's free to play. So you think about Call of Duty, you think of it as a mode of Call of Duty, and Call of Duty, the actual game itself, you have to buy whatever it is, 60 bucks for the yeah. uh, unit there. But then you can download Warzone independently from that, and it's free to play. But then it also introduces a recurring revenue feature with the sort of subscription-type Battle Pass thing. Right, right. That they That's have. in there, too. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's actually titled the Battle Pass. But so the monetization kind of comes after the fact. And so if you're just looking at hours played, it probably correlates pretty strongly with uh, uh, monetization. Yeah, Um, I think, gosh, I want to say that Call of Duty hours are up 3x this year, but don't quote me on that. They had some stuff in their investor relations I think it doubled. Doubled or something like that. The the numbers look good on that. And also Warzone is going to be helpful eventually and now cloud i don't know when cloud gaming is going to come or streaming gaming you know the netflix of games that seems like with stadia and stuff that's kind of been a flop and we might be like five years out but eventually those titles will probably do well on the cloud gaming when someone like us that doesn't own a console can access things just over the internet yeah yeah and i it also provides a sense of sustainability uh and like reduces the cyclicality of the title because if you're doing yeah. it season by season you don't have to worry about whether your game's going to be a hit uh on a given year yeah um, and yeah. I, I think you can release new maps but uh once again it just i think it reduces some of the cyclicality of it my future growth opportunity is diablo uh 
they have Diablo Immortal, which I believe is their mobile title. So as I mentioned earlier, average revenue per user is way higher on the Blizzard titles. And so the Diablo brand has been around for 25 years. And if you just go look up some of the fans of Diablo, they are very hard to please. Uh, and there's like people online that are like, Who's, whose fault is it? For selling Diablo to Activision, who who's at blame? And then they're like, yeah. "Well, Blizzard sold a long that. time ago." They're like, "No, but who exactly did this?" And it's like, okay, so people are very hard to please. And when they announced the Diablo mobile title, it was right during the friction between Bobby Kotick and another, I forget whoever else it was, but the guy ended up yeah, resigning. The, guy, the, the head fired. of the head of Blizzard ended up resigning. Yeah, and so they were having a lot of conflict. And part of part of that was because I think the head of Blizzard was like, "Listen, we don't have the game isn't ready," and Bobby Kotick's like, "We have to release something." And so yeah, they, they, ended they up wanted to wait till yeah with yeah. a mobile title, and people were just pissed. Uh, but apparently, they did some regional testing this quarter, and it was well received. Um, I don't know if that's them sort of flaunting their own stuff and saying it was well received. Maybe the fans think otherwise. But if Diablo Immortal is sort of a precursor to their Diablo 4 is more the console game so if the mobile game can kind of be like a tease or a trailer uh, and get people excited for the actual Diablo 4 which people seem to be really really excited about I think that could be a massive value driver over the next uh, two or three years Mm -hmm. Um, just because those games people will spend endless amounts of money on those type of games it seems weird that the and this is more about gaming in general that there's the the $60 price point hasn't gone to $100 because i don't know it's been the same since the 90s it's kind of strange because yeah. you're playing a lot more than i mean it's like all right if you compare it to what like a dvd used to cost like 20 bucks you do that you watch the show or sorry the the movie it's like 2 hours maybe if it's a hit you watch it like four times over its life but with the games a lot of times people are logging i don't know weeks hundreds and hundreds of hours over you know a few years it seems like they should be able to spend uh charge 100 bucks but industry standard 60 uh, i don't know if that's gonna yeah change. i'd rather have like monetization later on in the life cycle of the game but the other part is activision as a whole so the entire enterprise diablo world of warcraft that kind of stuff too but those ones those are titles that really really benefit from higher tech content so when you have yeah. like the newest generation of consoles out i think that's going to be huge uh yes because yes. it helps support uh better graphics and stuff like that whereas and, like, and pcs too the the pcs right. are ready they kind of have the chips in there everyone's got nvidia chips now on those and, to do the high not high frequency, whatever, high graphics, graphics, graphics whatever. gamings, yeah. And uh, like for Nintendo, those that doesn't really matter that much. Like Animal Crossing's people don't really care about the no, <laughs> quality of the graphics. It's so, for kids, yeah. Uh, having that new generation of consoles is good, I think. And, and most of the revenue still comes from consoles uh, for Activision Blizzard, even though PC and mobile are also growing, but uh, most of it's still console-based. Uh, what, how, highlights and lowlights, what do you have? So I like Call of Duty. I like their strategy with Call of Duty. I really think the four pillars of you know eSports, Warzone, or whatever free-to-play stuff they have, mobile, which has done phenomenal. It has 300 million downloads worldwide. And then the premium title, they can all work off each other and just kind of increase that moat they have. I think management strategy with applying the Call of Duty stuff will you know to all the other franchises or just something similar to what works with each franchise franchise is smart 
Uh, I think riding the new console wave is going to help them. I think VR eventually will help them. They'll be able to adapt to that. Riding the wave of mobile, riding the wave of esports, all those tailwinds will help them. It's not like they're restricted. Like, okay, say if Oculus takes over and it's the number one way people game. Well, Call of Duty can go on there. Right. Um, and then if you look at the margins, the margins on Call of Duty or Activision, which is essentially all Call of Duty, they're pretty insane. I think they had 47% operating margins last quarter. Um, Lowlights for me, high stock-based compensation spend. Um, there are the threats from Fortnite and Apex Legends, although I think those are kind of officially done. Uh, you know, not really. I mean, I don't think that's a risk anymore. Fortnite isn't taking over like people thought. Uh, and, you know, we own it for a reason, so not much else lowlights besides that. Yeah. I don't think you need to overcomplicate the thesis on this. There is a million and one tailwinds going on in the industry right now, whether it's streaming and, like, secondary consumption of the games or the media, whether that's Twitch, Facebook stream, YouTube. It's, so many people are being drawn to it. If you have the big titles, the big brands, and you're able to produce something that is good, you're going to be doing just fine. And Activision has been doing just that. We've seen it operationally uh, through both EA and Activision's financials. They weren't. Everyone talks about the indie games. Everyone talks about Fortnite and the boom with that. There was a one, basically a one-year hiccup. You, yeah, you have great brands in a booming industry. Uh, you don't really have to overcomplicate the thesis. And so that's no. sort of my highlights. Um, Lowlights for me, Bobby Kotick a little bit. So obviously he is, he's been around for a long time. He's done really, really well with Activision, but I think he's overly he is overcompensated. He has taken in 30 million over the last three years, which seems a bit each year, much. Each year. And the thing is like, if you've been around for 30 years, I don't, why do you need 30 million in income uh, every year? That seems excessive to me. The other part is, and okay, some of that is from incentive-based compensation. Most of it's from incentive-based compensation, uh, and it's tied to good incentives, in my opinion. But there's some there are some parts of his contract that seem strange to me. So he has his severance payout. If he is uh, terminated without cause, which doesn't mean like they just wrong uh, termination without cause is different than wrongful and ter wrongful termination. So if he was just fired for poor performance, that could be termination without cause. He gets paid nearly 80 million with almost 30 million in lump sum payments. And also he gets to, I think he vests his options early, which is a lot of, that's SBC. Uh, yeah. I mean, they got the SBC is just a big, uh, yeah. I mean, they could, if they, it seems it's like just something that it's just something that's going to impact, uh, you know, your free cash flow and earnings for sure. Maybe I'm thinking about the narrative wrong because maybe the employees and the developers want stock-based compensation and that incentivizes them to come. Yeah, but we just need that employee-CEO ratio to be more reasonable. Yeah, because, I don't know, and with the Bobby Kodak and the Blizzard fallout, I, nah. I think they, and obviously gamers always complain. You're always hearing complaints about titles and stuff like that, but there is... There's been a lot of backlash from the Blizzard cohort because yeah. of the you know the CEO's gone or the the, the head of creative head of Blizzard cre yeah head of creative there um, and it just seems like there's been a lot of fallouts all related to Bobby Kodak so that's a little that's a little concerning um, 
just something to watch for. But he's yeah. out, his track record speaks for itself. Yeah, um, and they, the goal is uh, look. They says their north star is to get to a billion users. Um, if they can get there, they're probably going to do quite well, even if they give out some stocks. So it's just no companies perfect uh but it's just something to watch out for next up though we're we typically do more or less interested obviously since we both you know we own the company uh we are interested interested. (laughs) uh but so we're gonna hit here some potential risk to talk about you know some of the potential downside ryan what do you have yeah so mine it it was kind of hard to come up with any i guess the bobby Kodak thing is a risk as much as a low light but blizzards yeah the blizzard is a little bit of a risk yeah uh I guess death by a thousand cuts would be the biggest potential low light. So obviously competing for consumers time is really, uh, is hyper competitive. And if the engines are able to democratize like game development the way that they claim they can in the future, then more and more people are going to be making games. Uh, a lot of the indie games are going to be hits, I guess. And then the other part is like, You've got a lot of gamers that are ages 18 to 38 for the Call of Duty brand. Um, what if Roblox, who's really in with the 12-year-old group, is able to scale with that that age demographic? Yeah, then, that could be. A- you know, th- then you have sort of a washout of your primary cohort. Yeah, the biggest risk uh, from competition is probably Unity and Roblox. People say Fortnite. It's not true. People say something like Nintendo or other games. It's just there's plenty I mean, to go around. The industry yeah. is going to be $200 billion soon. Fortnite it, specifically, no, but it, Unreal Engine. No, uh, Unity Unity's because Unreal is just for big games. Is it? Yeah, so Uni- it's Unity. You know, I remember we talked about this with uh, Cyber. Right, right, right. Right. So Unity is for yeah, the, the shorter games, or not shorter games, um, less complicated, the AAA titles. Uh, so yeah, Unity and Roblox seem like the biggest competitors from that, from democratizing game access. But it seems like I don't know to replicate a Call of Duty franchise. People estimate you'd have to spend a hundred million dollars at least. At least. So I mean, there's some economies of scale there. You can't just replicate Warzone or the Call of Duty premium games or the Blizzard games overnight. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good in theory to be like, well, if the game engines get good enough, anyone can do it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's got to be really, really hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. Time consuming as well as uh, capital intensive. What, what, what's the biggest risk for you? Yeah, so I have. Uh, this is a shorter term risk. Is just, I mean, you got to think. Okay, you got to, or at least you got to be ready if you're an investor for when the economy reopens uh, and people are allowed to do things throughout. I don't know. They're not stuck in their homes like they were in 2020. That could be a short-term headwind. I don't think it impacts the long-term trajectory of the gaming industry, but yeah, I mean, there you know, growth might slow a bit for a few months here, or something yeah. like that. Uh, and MAUs did fall year over year for the fourth quarter, so that is worth noting. Did we catch it kind of at a peak, possibly? Um, but uh, it. I would say no. I think over the next decade, it's, it's only going to be growth in terms of users from there. That's what we hope. That's what we hope. But there is, yeah, I don't know if it's a risk for the long-term trajectory, but just be ready in the short term. If, say, people start just wanting to do stuff outside, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I mean, everything's I, opened up, social events, baseball games, stuff I like think, that. Yeah, per consumer, 
our uh, per consumer attention paid to these brands will probably never be higher than it was this like uh, during covid yeah potentially potentially yeah so uh, yeah there are definitely some one-time blips from this year but overall it feels less Mm -hmm. like it was just a one-time one-hit wonder of the year and then yeah we just want to put these risks down there i mean because if you're listening you're thinking of investing or you may be new or you're an individual investor like when you come across a company to invest in, uh, there's ne- they're never going to be perfect. If a company was perfect, it would be priced to infinity and there would be no returns left. So you have to be taking on some risk and there's always potential risk with the business. So we just want to highlight that uh, because a lot of other like shows or YouTube channels or stuff like that, they make it seem like an investment is 100% guarantee. No investment is 100% of guarantee. We could easily be wrong about Activision, but yeah. Anything else before we close out? No, I think that's it. Okay, that's going to do it. Make sure, as always, uh, to... What do I got to say? The disclosure, disclosure. We should write this down. Uh, Uh, Okay. We are... We're general partners at Arch Capital. Yeah, we are we general. literally on Activision Blizzard, so yeah, this so, is not advice. Yeah, so and any other things that are mentioned on the show, clients may own in their portfolios. We are not financial advisors, so anything on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We will see you next time.